0: Hello, hello, everybody. Um, thanks for sticking around for these long hours talking about very heavy topics. But um, thank you to all the speakers because you've given me a lot of hope in envisioning new solutions to these issues. Um, yeah, so welcome to our Youth voice, Voices of the Future youth panel. These are all youth activists from around the Minneapolis area. Um, and my name is Anya. I'm gonna be the moderator for this panel. I Just finished my sophomore year of college, and I'm an environmental science major with a minor in race, ethnicity, and migration studies. So I think a lot about climate change and racism. Very happy education, I'm getting. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I thought I'd just give the chance for these guys to introduce themselves and the work they do, because they'll probably do a better job than I will.
1: So do you guys want to just go down the line? Hello, everyone. My name is Leah Harrell, Uh, I'm currently finishing up my senior year of high school at Hopkins High School. Um, On a local level, I'm the president of my school's Earth Club, and I'm working with my community um, through a a coalition that we started called the Minnetonka Climate Initiative to um, bring about more bold climate policies with the city Minnetonka. And then I'm also part of um, a few larger networks of youth Um, We're working on state-level solutions such as Minnesota Can't Wait and um, iMatter and a lot of other uh, youth partnership organizations.
2: Uh, My name is Tiger. Uh, I'm a community organizer in the Seward neighborhood. I'm currently finishing up my junior year of high school at South High School in uh, South Minneapolis. And uh, I was very fortunate to be uh, one of the co-authors of uh, the first ever youth-led, state-led Green New Deal bill with um, Leah and Katie, so uh, it's really good to be here. It's a very beautiful church, and thank you so much.
3: Hi, uh, my name is Katie. I am a senior at St. Louis Park High School. I lead our Roots and Shoots Environmental Club. Um, I am on the City of St. Louis Park's Environment Sustainability Commission, and I'm also involved with the Rivers Park District and some of the state-level organizing that Tiger and Leah mentioned.
4: Hi, my name is Anna, um, I live at in Edina, and I'm a member of the um, Environmental Club at Edina High School. Um, for the past few months, I've been working with the city council um, in order to get them to enter the federal Green New Deal and the state Green New Deal that they, hit, that they helped to ride. Um, and we've also been trying to work on a plan to get all of the city councils in Minnesota to like come up with a climate action plan.
0: Cool, thanks guys. Very impressive resume you guys make up. Um, yeah, so I guess if the audience ever has any questions, feel free to raise your hands, shout them out. Um, yeah, but I'll start with some questions that we have prepared. Um, I'm curious, as youth activists, because I once was in high school and tried desperately to get people to care about climate change, um, what kinds of challenges do you guys face? And like, do you think that your age has anything to do with it or other intersecting identities that you may have, like race, socioeconomic status, gender identity, et cetera?
3: I think one of the challenges that I've faced in working with um, the high schoolers in my environmental club is that we do a lot of policy work, whether it's at a local level or a state level. And it can be really complex for everyone, not just young people. So people seeing the work that we're doing and hearing about it, they don't exactly want to go sit in meetings for a couple hours a week. But I think once we get past that and we're able to, to, to draw people in for at least one meeting, um, people kind of see how accessible in it um, it is and, and what the stake that we as young people have in it. So that's been really valuable, I think.
1: I think for myself, I came into this work not really believing that I could affect much change because I'm young and inexperienced and less knowledgeable than any politician or economist or scientist. Um, And that has weighed pretty heavily on some of the things that I'm doing. There are the happen instances when I don't know how to answer a question or sometimes I feel like I'm just repeating what the adults are telling me to say without fully understanding myself. Um, what I'm actually advocating for. So there's that aspect always weighing on my shoulders, but at the same time I know that I can envision my future and I am powerful enough and knowledgeable enough to know what I want and the stake that the youth have um, in front of us. So I I have knowledge in that sense and it's a different type of knowledge that kind of goes under uh, represented, undervalued a lot because um, you know, experiences aren't uh, respected enough as, you know, a degree, for example. So that's kind of one of the challenges that I face and it's a challenge that a lot of young people see as an obstacle for them to get involved in direct actions um, and organizing. But I think that with the growing movement of youth who are taking to the streets, who are um, protesting and asking their legislators to do something, uh, I think we're realizing that we don't need the traditional sense of knowledge in order to do something about this issue?
0: Yeah. Go ahead, if you have an answer. No pressure. <laughs> okay.
2: I think my biggest challenge would have to be diversifying these spaces. Um, since I joined the climate movement about a year ago, I have yet to see another black male who has been passionate uh, about organizing this issue. And it's not to say that they're not out there. It's just that you know, the climate movement has had this narrative, sort of, of being a white issue. And, I mean, if you look at what's happening in our country, uh, it you know, with all the other issues that pop up, it sort of has taken that turn. But as as we're starting to diversify it more and we're starting to understand how important intersectionality is, I think that um, things are starting to change. So I have started to see more kids of color enter the climate movement. And uh, that's been very motivating. And I think it's gonna have a profound impact on how um, we view the climate crisis and who we see uh, is to be really affected by this issue.
4: Well, I'm gonna kind of um, add on to what Lee and Katie said. I think that one of the main obstacles for me has been that we're like young and that everyone I try to work with is young or like, yeah, try to get involved in the movement is young. Um, I feel like as Katie was saying they're well, at least teenagers, they're not really passionate about this or like not most of us at least um i think that it's not necessarily a priority for us and that is a little frustrating for me because after like well learning so much about this problem and seeing how much is at stake for us it's frustrating that people don't understand how much it's gonna affect us but yeah like i said i think that there's more and more people involved every time and every and more and more people come to the realization that we are truly facing a crisis and more people are getting involved
0: Yeah. Great answers, guys. Um, Like you were saying, Katie, going to city hall meetings and being involved in policy isn't the most popular after school activity for young people. And like you were saying, Tiger, this movement has not historically been very inclusive, like the mainstream environmental movement. So um, what kind of spurred you guys all in your own way to come to this movement and really get involved in climate action? Like what drives your passion for the movement? Well,
4: um, my mom's an environmental engineer, so, so since I was very young, taking care of the planet has been a very important part of my life, but more so when I was in elementary, I think, well, th- this is what I remember m- motivating me to take action. I um, I took a survey about, like, the things I love and how they're going to be affected by climate change, and it wasn't just, like, I don't know, oceans or chocolate. It was, like, about my the people I care about, my friends, my family. And then I just came to the realization that once again, we have so much to lose because of this problem and and it's not worth risking it. Um, When I was in eighth grade, I became vegan
3: and that was kind of like the, the very first step in getting involved for me. And I originally actually became vegan because I was really invested in animal rights. And as I kind of got to know more people who were vegan and got a little more involved in the community... I kind of realized that like, it's one of the best things you can do for the planet on a really um, individual level is to stop eating meat. Um, so that was one of those points for me. And then eventually joining um, my high school's environmental club as a junior um, and seeing that there were other people who were equally passionate about it and that they knew ways to, to get even more involved and that they had all this support from other students and from adult staff and from community organizers to actually affect the change that they were really passionate about. Yeah,
2: so the, the Seward neighborhood is a very green neighborhood, and so I've had a lot of exposure to the um, environment at a very young age. Um, you know, there's a co-op that's very popular. I live, like, right next to a co-op. There's a bunch of local gardens, and uh, the elementary school I went to, Seward Montessori, um, was very passionate about, you know, going out into the community and planting some, some plants and, you know, all that good stuff. And so I think because um, I wanted to get involved, um, there was an event that happened right in my neighborhood, and it just happened to be an environmental event. And, um, you know, the, the cause to save our environment is a pretty compelling cause, right? So um, I joined, and the rest is history.
1: I think it's pretty cool because I'm sitting right next to the person that got me into this movement. Um, Anya was the president of Hopkins High School Earth Club when I was a sophomore and just coming into the scene. um, And through all the activities that we did at high school, at the Hopkins High School Earth Club, I really became, um, you know, my eyes kind of opened to the extent of the climate crisis beyond just simply the natural landscape, um, how much uh, is at stake for humans um, and for for biodiversity, all these different issues. Um, And then through that kind of realization, I was connected through a whole bunch of other networks of youth um, and inspired by these youth activists to also Uh, act and take charge and do something about these issues that I was seeing. But um, really all it takes is one person who's gonna motivate you to do something and then you're just um, kind of surrounded by all these amazing people pretty soon.
0: Thanks, (laughs) Leah. Glad to know that the times we spent picking up trash behind the target were really (laughs) inspirational for you. (laughs) Um, Great answers, you guys. Um, speaking more like to your work and what you envision for the future as young people, obviously, hopefully you're going to grow up and inherit this world that is for better or for worse, heading in a certain direction. Um, yeah. So what do you envision for the future? How do you envision changing it? What would you like, um, the world to look like when you are an adult? Big goals, big goals.
3: (laughs) I think one of the big things for me is that we have a more comprehensive um, like educational system around um, climate because one of um, the things that really compelled me to um, become passionate about climate change and environmentalism was an AP environmental science class I took as a freshman in high school. And so just seeing the impact that one class had on me um, I think it's really, really important that um, that people are are aware of um, such like an important phenomena. and um,
2: Well, for starters, world peace sounds pretty good. Uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd love to go into a world like that, but um, <clears throat> I think just completely changing our education system the way it is right now. It's, I think that uh, that that'd be really good if we rethought schooling and the whole classroom setting. but also, I want to I want to go into a world where, you know, not only is there equal opportunity, but we look at things through a lens of equity, right? Because historical trauma and uh generational wealth do exist and unfortunately it puts us on um an unequal playing field. And so I think going into a world like that would be uh nice. <laughs> to say the least, it'd be nice. <laughs>
4: Um Well, I think I really hope that in the future we are able to give as Tiger was saying, to give everyone a place at the discussion because I think that's like the most important thing in this issue and in every other issue that we're facing. Um, last year, I had a unit related to terrorists and like conflicts around the world. And at the end of the unit, my teacher told us that the solution was just to listen to each other and that sounded pretty simple, but I thought, I mean, it can't be that easy, right? But it really is. I mean, it's about like really giving everyone a seat at the table and making sure that the solutions that we're coming up with are beneficial for everyone. So I hope that's the kind of world we'll live in someday.
1: Um, so I think it was in Lita slide. One of the slides was the graphic that I think a lot of us have seen before. What is ac- what is equality and what is equity? And it's the thing where the the different heights of people and they're standing on different levels of boxes and kind of breaking down that, um, the distinction between those two words. And I've seen that before, but what I haven't seen is that third image in which everyone is standing and there's no barrier, there's no wall in front of them. And really just like an hour ago, I made this realize, or I had this realization, like that is the type of world that we should all be working for. Um, Not trying to like determine like, what are the types of opportunities that we can give each other, but it's that, um, all opportunities should be there. There should be no barriers. Um, obviously that's a tall order to say, but I think having that graphic in mind really just shifted my perspective of what are, what we are working towards. Um, so I think that is definitely something that I hope more people are exposed to that type of um, vision for what our future can look like.
0: Yeah, good visions guys, good visions. Um. Speaking to those barriers that you're talking about um, that are kind of getting in the way between us and an equitable future, in your work, what does the phrase climate justice mean to you, kind of the theme of the day is climate justice, as you may have heard, and what would you think that a world with climate justice would look like?
1: (laughs) So (laughs) I can start. So the the first Climate Justice is very new to me. I only began to really understand it and unpack it in the last few months, um, which feels like I'm very late to the game. Um, And I I think I grew up understanding that science is more uh, respected and we need to listen to the science when it comes to climate change and that is the only community that we need to listen to. Um, but through all the work and all the stories that I've heard and all of these different perspectives in the, climate movement, in the climate movement, I'm understanding that the scientific community is not the only community that has a voice. It's every single other type of community um, regarding race, socioeconomic background, religion, um, all of these different communities that make up Minnesota and our country, they all have a role in creating climate solutions that are that are just Um, and that is kind of how I see the term climate justice is this bridge between the science and the people um, and making sure that it they're one in the same and it's not two separate ideas that we're going towards different paths when we're talking about them
2: for sure Uh, very good question I can spend all hour Talking about that question. <laughs> Go ahead. But you know, the, uh, well, this isn't the tiger panel; it's the youth panel. So, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna take one thing that I've been looking at recently. For instance, um, you look at what happens in less developed countries. You look at the environmental catastrophes that happen in those countries, and you look at the global reaction to it. And obviously, we know that it's it's not it's not the same as it would be if it were in a, in a more developed country. And so, I think um, to that second part about what does environmental justice look to look like to you i think um being able to uh look at other people as one of us and being able to understand that uh when these catastrophes happen they they really do affect all of us and not just fighting uh for you know sort of our country but also fighting for we're fighting through that global lens you know
3: I think that for me, climate justice—I like—I really see like its applications um, when I talk to um, people in my community, who are um, a lot of people who are involved are kind of middle class. Obviously, we live in the United States, which is very developed, and we're not going to see the impacts of climate change like. Um, people in less developed countries like tiger said so i think being able to really communicate to um, people that are involved that um that climate um, action isn't necessarily always for us but for people who will
4: feel the effects of climate so much more severely than we will i think that climate justice um well when i think about climate justice i see not only about like looking at climate change as an environmental issue, but about like thinking about what we want our society to look like. So going back to the question that you asked us earlier about like the visions that we have for the future. Well, obviously, like I feel that climate actions give us like the opportunity to improve our world in so many different ways. And if we do it right, if we do include everyone, give everyone a place at the discussion and making sure that the solutions are just and equitable, or, yeah, breaking the barrier, but yeah, j- good for everyone. Um, well, I mean, it just it makes our society. It will make our society so much better if we do act on climate change. Not only to make sure that, yeah, obviously, that we're safe, but just in general, it will improve us our our world in so many different ways. So that's
0: yeah. Yeah, kind of shifting the focus a little to um, to your guys's work and to the problem itself. Uh, a lot of the speakers earlier discussed different ways of approaching the problem of climate justice and how like environmental degradation affects different communities in different ways. Um, how we can look at it through like a lens of agriculture, food insecurity, food deserts, just the list goes on and on, health effects of pollution. Um, Yeah, and there are a lot of different ways to think about solutions to like environmental problems and climate change as a whole from like the people who are like ban drinking straws to the people who are like Green New Deal right now, (laughs) kinds of different levels. So In your experience and like in your own opinion, what do you think is like the kind of solution that we should be aiming for? Are there multiple types of solutions that we can create to kind of fight this, some would call it a wicked problem?
2: I think just like educating the masses of how important this this issue is and um, uh, you know, uniting people around this problem. Um, I honestly think that because of the the current environmental status um, this issue is just super, super strong, and uh, it really does take a, an amalgamated society to take it on. So I think, um, one, uniting people, and two, educating people about what they're fighting for, you know, rather than just using bodies because it looks good, you know? So I definitely think that it needs to come from the heart. <laughs>
0: um, basically, the question just boils down to what kinds of solutions do you guys envision, small-scale solutions or large-scale solutions?
1: Right, okay. <laughs> um, so I'm the type of person that really likes one solution and the best solution, and just put all my effort behind that, <laughs> but when it comes to climate solutions, there is no silver bullet um, and it's kind of hard to come to terms with that there's nothing there's not one thing that we can all get our energy behind. Um, it really does boil down to um actions on different levels and and different types of actions so what I mean by that is um, working on every single level in your household in your your community in your state in your country you know as as a as an entire world every single level has a different piece to this solution Um, and then again, getting at what are those different types of pieces. It's at the, the agriculture, it's the health, it's the energy, it's all those different sections. Um, so there's not one type of thing. It's how do we bring all those things together, um, and make sure that there's an alignment between our goals and there's communication between, um, these different sectors to make sure we're all moving forward towards, um, a common goal, I would say.
3: I actually wrote my college essays on this. I'm very, very (laughs) excited. Um, I think kind of definitely what Tiger said um, around educating um, is very, very important because you want people to know what they're fighting for, and it makes people all the more passionate about what they're doing. Um, I also think that um, in terms of looking at whether you should focus on more, like, small-scale local community personal action versus should you focus on policy and um, large corporations, large businesses. I think personal action and community action is really important to the effect that it um, gets people involved and shows that um, climate action is accessible um, and that everyone who participates is necessary and appreciated and has a voice and a perspective that will really contribute to the movement. Um, but I also think because the majority of um, greenhouse gas emissions come from large corporations, that um, we can't just look at at um, personal action and encouraging recycling and composting in individual households. We really do have to look at big policy solutions and invest a lot of time and money in
4: those. Yes, I completely agree with everything that you guys said. I personally used to be all about educating people and trying to change the way they thought about this problem because i thought that there was really no way that laws could really change our society if we didn't if we weren't able to change by ourselves but as tiger was, was saying these are really strong and i think the way to phrase it is like urgent issues so we don't really have time to educate everyone and make them realize that this is an important problem we need someone to well I feel like I personally feel that minds are like our minds are already changing, so we need our laws to follow up and change as well. Um, and for those people who haven't changed their minds yet, we need the laws to tell us that no, this is what we have to do because science is telling us that this is what we have to do. Um, so just because of the urgency of this problem, I think that what we need is a governmental change. Yep, definitely, people have to be involved and yeah of course like community involvement is definitely important giving everyone a place in the solution is important but I think that our laws have to change in order for any solution to work.
0: Yeah thank you. Um, So many of you guys and many of the like youth that I work with at iMatter um, are in a position where they aren't old enough to vote. They don't have a lot of like political efficacy in that specific arena. Um, Yeah and I've Heard a lot of frustration echoed with like the way that adults in positions of power are handling the situation um seeing as our audience is predominantly 21 plus (laughs) i was wondering what you guys would have to say about (laughs) about how adults can best support youth activists and best encourage them to have a voice in this issue that is so prevalent to their lives feel free to rant if you need to
1: (laughs) obviously vote um yeah I mean that's probably the one thing that you all have the privilege of that people under 18 do not have that privilege yet um but I think more so than that I mean so voting gets your voice through the ballot but you also need to physically raise your voice more so than what we're hearing today and I think it's it's sort of taboo, controversial or something to say you support climate action because you'll be pinned as um, some sort of like tree hugger or I've been called a socialist before in a derogatory way. Um, And I think kind of that stigma around supporting climate action comes from not enough people being brave enough to say this, talk about this in their communities, post it on social media, um, and really insert it into the conversation rather than just expecting it to come up naturally. Because if we wait for these topics to come up naturally, they're just not going to in the time frame that we need them to come up. So um, I think that in the last year, I've spoken out about climate action much more than I ever have in my entire life. And I've spoken to so many strangers about it. I've made so many phone calls about this. <laughs> Um, and coming from a shy person, that is not something that I would typically do um, out of enjoyment. But given the um, the in, the urgency and just the immediate need to keep talking about it and to really emphasize this issue, I think adults need to be much more outspoken about this issue.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, voting is obviously very important. And I'm not going to tell you to vote for Bernie Sanders. But... Uh... <laughs> Um, you know, I think I've talked to organizers in Nevada, organizers in Michigan, organizers in Georgia uh, that are youth organizers. And what I hear is, you know, the issue really isn't getting into those adult spaces. It's not being able to have our voices heard. What the issue now is, is it's what power does our voices have. It's, it's giving youth the power to actually, you know, take, well, it's giving youth the power to, like, for instance, the Seward Neighborhood Group right it's a group with people who are predominantly over 21 like you said earlier and you know there isn't a rule saying that younger people can't join that organization and be or yeah that part of the organization and be on the board but it's 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 looked down upon you know there's there's not an active campaign saying we want youth voting members on that board and so i think giving youth the opportunity to not only vote at the elections but vote in these community uh, decisions is also very very important
3: I think just going to echo Leah and Tiger and vote. We can't push the policy we want. We can't um, really affect the change we want if our politicians are not invested in not only their future but also our future and our children's future. Um, so echoing voting. Um, also, I think um, kind of what Tiger was saying, uh, making sure that that young people not only have a chance to speak but also kind of have, they have their own own voting status. Um, And mostly the example that comes to mind is um, I'm a youth member on my city's Environment Sustainability Commission, and we are very fortunate in that we have two youth positions, and both of them have full voting status. Um, And I think that says a lot about how our community values um, our, our youth and the voices of our youth. Um, but we are that's kind of rare for a commission to have a youth member with full voting status. So making sure that youth have voices and that they feel like um, those voices will actually have the power to affect change.
4: I think that one of um, the main ways in which adults can help us um, be part of this solution is like through partnerships. I think that working together, like young people working together with adults is the most effective way in which we're gonna be able to change. Because yes, I think we do have the passion and I believe that we are fully capable of making this change. But adults definitely have more experience than we do. And um, when I've been working on projects, there's been many times where well, I feel like I don't have enough experience or enough knowledge. And I think that yeah definitely I can look it up or find a way to like find the information I need, but if we work together and with like adults experience and I guess um, I yeah, I just think that working together adults and young and young people is the most effective way to make a change.
2: Are there any audience questions? Perfect. Um,
3: I've heard this as a trend and I don't know if it's true. Do you think that the young people are less getting
2: their driver's license and driving the car how many cars did you get? So I don't think uh, people my age are less interested in getting their license. Um, I say this from experience, of course. Uh, But I definitely think a lot of young people want to get Teslas. (laughs) They want to get the nice cars, right? The nice, environmental-friendly cars. So yeah.
1: Um, I think that brings up an interesting point though Um, yes I have my own driver's license um, and in my family we have two cars but what I think would be very different is if I would have had more opportunity to take public transportation and I live in the suburbs and that's not as readily available as maybe it is here in Minneapolis with the light rail and all that and they are building a light rail route that is going to get into the suburbs but that's going to be completed what 2023 I think and I'm out of here by then for sure <laughs> um. Bye, <Leah. laughs> um so I think if there is more um connection between our 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 greater Minnesota areas our our suburban areas our our um urban areas there might be a shift in um you know, youth incentive to get their own cars and get their own driver's license. Um, And I think that is something that would be very beneficial for our, our state as a whole to really make sure we're more connected with our public transportation.
0: Are there any more audience questions? Do you guys want to respond?
1: Sure, so I think young people want the ability to drive
3: because it gives them a lot of independence. That's why I wanted the ability to drive. And so I think, kind of, what Leah was talking about in terms of um, creating infrastructure, which again is um, spurred by policy. Um, so echoing the, uh, the policy piece on um, environmentalism, but creating infrastructure that allows for um, for uh, for transit, for public transportation, um, creating incentives for. Um, for electric cars um creating incentives for biking um etc i think that's really important and helps foster that same sense of independence cuz i think it's more important to young people that they're independent than they specifically drive a car
4: well i think it is important um for people well, for young people to understand the problem i walk to my school i mean i Don't have my driver's license yet, but my neighbor does. He lives right in front of my house, and he does drive every day to school. And I live less than a mile away from school. And like I, every time my mom does pick me up from school, I feel a little guilty in a way because I understand what that means to the environment. And I feel that well, there's there's um school buses that can drive that can take people to school and back to their houses. But, yeah, once again, because of the independence and because they don't fully understand what that action of taking their own car means, um, I just feel that if they did understand what, like, the impact that that has, it would really, like, I think it would be a big incentive for them to stop doing it.
0: Yeah. um, So, one last question to round out the day. This one is kind of two questions in one, so a bit of a cheating on my part. Um, But I wanted to ask, what is the accomplishment that you are most proud of in your time as an organizer and to counteract that also how do you balance between activ- activism and your real life which I'm sure is full of fun things outside of activism <laughs> hopefully <laughs>
1: <laughs> um so in terms of my proudest achievements definitely we've had some really great events that have had some great attention great Um, attendance but I think in terms of my own personal accomplishments it's being able to um, grow as a leader and feel empowered beyond my my expectations of myself Um, and definitely this year I've grown so much again as I mentioned I would call people as part of one of our press outreaches and I hate calling people so much but (laughs) I'm I'm really dedicated to this to this movement um, and just being able to be proud of myself that I took myself out of my comfort zone and did something um, that really scared me but being empowered to to do it. Um, and I think that's kind of rippling throughout the youth movement. A lot of people are stepping up and doing things that they don't um, think they have the confidence to do so. Um, and then the second part was, what was the second part?
0: <laughs> Work-life balance.
1: Right, right, right. Um, So yes, I definitely, there were times when I was not balanced enough in terms of weighing activism in school, Um, and sometimes when I would take time for myself, I would feel guilty that I'm not doing enough to solve this problem, and that there's always more that I could be doing. Um, But at the end of the day, I have to remind myself that I'm only one person, I'm not going to change the world all, all by myself with just my actions, and there's other people who are working when I'm not, and when they're not working, I'm working, so as long as um, there's this collective effort to balance out our, our balances, um, I think we're all gonna move forward together, which is great.
2: So, so to answer the first part of the question, I think, um, you know, throughout this year, I've definitely gotten more, um, more into activism and organizing, and just meeting people with so many different points of views, And, uh, you know, when you meet a lot of people with different ideas than you, at some point, you know, even if those ideas may conflict with your own personal values, you start to sort of get this sense of, you know, okay, thank you for sharing your opinion. I disagree with you, but I can still work with you in a sense. And so I think my ability to compromise is something that I'm very proud of right now. Obviously, um, when it comes to materialistic things, I think the Green New Deal, making sure that that got proposed and starting, a really a big, we didn't start it, but we helped contribute to the national conversation about it. And, uh, what was the second question? The second part again? <laughs>
0: Work-life balance.
2: Oh, you know, unfortunately I don't have any other life besides organizing and activism. Uh, I, I just dedicate myself so much and, uh, you know, really though, I'm serious. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the results are often rewarding in itself, so yeah.
3: I think one of my proudest achievements is being able to find my way around the Capitol. Now, I was not able to at the (laughs) beginning of the year, so. (laughs) Um, Also, I think one of the things as someone who, obviously I have a lot of friends who um, who are very active inside the climate movement, but I also have a lot of people um, that I'm friends with in my workplace at school who aren't necessarily quite like all in to the climate movement and and into activism. Um, So I do hear a lot around um, climate action and especially around being vegan. Like you are just one person. How could you possibly um, make a difference? How could you possibly affect the change you want to? So kind of being able to prove them wrong and that we have hosted marches that have drawn hundreds of people and introduced um, state level policy that's really like going to affect the change that we want to and that I've been able to be a part of that. So I think being able to prove people wrong and show that even though you're one person, like you have so much more of a voice than you could possibly imagine. And then second, <laughs> well work life balance. Um so I think I'm like just <laughs> I'm sensing um, a theme. <laughs> I think um, my personality type, I like to take on more um, than I could possibly ever keep up with, um, even when that wasn't, um, even when climate action and activism wasn't a part of that. Um, I think I've learned though that um, every once in a while I I have to take a step back and evaluate um, what that I'm doing is really getting me to a place where I want to be in the future while also um, making sure that I'm having the most possible impact on the areas that I'm passionate about right now. So that includes obviously doing well in school, because I'd like to get to a place where um, I graduate, where I'm educated and able to be in a position to support people like I've been supported.
4: So I know I said that um, I think that the most uh, important way to make a change is through the law, the laws, and I do think it's the most important one. But I don't love being involved in like politics, and I th- think it's admirable that you guys wrote the Green New Deal. But that's not really my thing. I like doing like smaller projects in my community where I can see the change. So my proudest moment um, was well, I used to live in Panama, and we had a huge waste problem in my cafeteria. Um, we used a bunch of unnecessary plastic and. It was hard to make my cafeterias, well, the cafeteria staff change because they always were able to come up with new excuses of why it was too hard to change. But after a long time, we were able to find a compromise and make a plan that would work for both of us. And we were able to get rid of all of the plastic in the cafeteria. And just being able to see that change really made me happy and proud of what we had accomplished. And the work-life balance, well, um, yeah. <laughs> um um well i what i try to do is when i'm working on a project i try to put all my energy into that and then after a project i do take a break because for some reason it's really exhausting to try to convince people to care about this (laughs) um
0: yeah thank you guys so much such insightful answers from the voices of our future (laughs)